chance it's me. I mean, I could pick one of you out right now, <laughs> but I won't do that. So turn with me to Matthew 10, 34 through 39. I remember to ask someone first service, and in the second service I got all distracted and forgot to ask anybody. So it's a really simple one today, so I probably could just push anyone into it, but I won't. So Matthew 10, 34 through 39 is our scripture reading for today. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And that's where we stop. So we are in part four of our series, No Peace. And this week we have a little extra no, because this is then no peace on earth. So we have started after, after October. Halloween. We started this series after we finished our previous series, and we've been looking at the biblical definition of peace, and we're doing this right through the end of the year, right through the end of, of December, looking at the biblical definition of peace, understanding the difference between what sometimes our mental image is, what the biblical picture is. And we looked at the fact that, that peace is not, biblical peace is not the idea of just this tranquility of just, ah, woo. Instead, it's the idea of completeness, wholeness, brought togetherness, something that maybe has been apart, being put together and completed together, that that's the idea of peace. We've looked at the fact that the, that the fact that we don't have peace now is not a failure of God's, but a failure of us, that God tries to bring things together, but we're good at tearing things apart. And so the reason we don't have peace is because we're not good at peace and because we have failed to follow God's offer of peace, receive God's offer for peace. And we've seen over the last several weeks as we worked through the Old Testament and looked at especially Isaiah and looked at the promises for peace and then how it said, but, but it's going to be rejected. And we saw how the Prince of Peace would be rejected. Last week we looked at that because we pull apart, he brings together. So that's where we've been. Now, especially in this day and age, I've had this happen to me several times where I'll be talking to someone or somebody will be being kind of a jerk who's a Christian and I'll say, well, listen, you know, we need to not be so divisive. We need to try to bring people together, all this stuff. And I've had even pastors sometimes kind of get on my case and say, wait, 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 wait just a minute. Remember, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword and, and division. And that's, 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 I'm not being, I'm just being Christ-like by being that way. And, well, gee, do they have a point? Because here, didn't Jesus say he divides? And so this is oftentimes used to defend being divisive. And so we have to say, well, now is that what this means? Is that what's going on here? Now, what oftentimes happens and how we oftentimes approach the Bible just as people and as Christians is oftentimes we have an idea in our head of what we want to think, what we want to say, what we want to believe. And so then we go to the Bible to find verses that back us up. Well, the minute you head to the Bible trying to find it saying something you want to hear, your chances are pretty good of finding it. Why? Because you're going to read what you want into a text and go, see, the Bible agrees with me. 
And you end up, when you do that, you'll end up with a lot of bad takes. And you'll end up with a lot of twisted ideas of what the Scripture says. And even now I talk to people and say, well, you know, you can use the Bible to justify anything. True, if you ignore what it says in favor of what you want it to mean. And that's what oftentimes happens with this passage, where this passage has been used by people who are looking to be kind of ugly or disagreeable or obstinate or whatever, and say, oh, look, see, Jesus said he'll cause division, so I'm being divisive and I'm just being like Jesus. But we need to look and see, well, what is the context? What, what really is happening here? Because it does seem contradictory. At first glance, you have I thought he was the prince of peace, and he says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. So what we need to do, the most important step is to look at the context. In other words, in, in what context was this said? Why did he say it? What did he mean when he said it? And for us in this case, don't lose Matthew 10, but turn back to the Old Testament to Micah chapter 7. Because if you have, like in my translation, I have the New American Standard. In the New American Standard translation, verses 35 and 36 are almost all in caps because it's a quote. And in, in my New American Standard, anytime you have a quotation from the Old Testament, they put it in all capital letters so you can tell that it's a quotation. So here, when Jesus says about setting a man against his father, he's quoting Micah 7. So we need to look at what in the world is he quoting, because that's going to help us understand what Jesus means. Why does he say this? So follow along, and let's read Micah 7, 1 through 7. So this is during Israel's bad time. In fact, this is being written during two of Israel's worst kings, when society is just corrupt. Society is in bad shape. These guys, they've got uh, King Omri and King Ahab, and it's just bad. And Micah is speaking about this. Woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat, or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks, also the judge, for a bribe. And a great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchmen, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. For her who lies in, from her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are in. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. So you see how bad it is here in Micah 7, because this is the condition of life when God and his salvation has been rejected. And it's like, he says, it's so bad, the, the rod of society, it starts with, he says, there's nobody who's pursuing righteousness. Everyone's doing evil. Both hands do it well. Everyone's good at this, doing bad things. The prince and the judge both ask for a bribe, so the government's corrupt. The great man, so in other words, the leaders of society, what do they talk about? 
Whatever is important to them. says the desire of his soul. So the great men, they're in it for themselves. It's all about them. So they weave it together. So all of society's, all of society's leaders are corrupt. The best is like a briar. The most upright is like a thorn hedge. And so then the advice of Micah was, don't trust your neighbor, don't trust your friends, don't trust your spouse, don't trust your family. Because the rod of society has, has penetrated even like the last bastion, which is the home. The one place where you ought to be safe is not even there. And so this is describing a society that's, what, divided. So divided that you can't trust anyone anymore because everyone's out for themselves. And this is what Jesus quotes. Because there's total division even within families. And betrayal and everyone is pulled apart. But then we read one more verse, verse 7. But as for me, oh, an alternative. I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And so then Micah says, but I am not going to take part in this. I'm not going to take part in this. I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm, he's putting his eggs in a different basket than this corrupt society. So though this is the picture that then Jesus reaches back, because Jesus knows his Bible, and he reaches back and he says, now, listen, here's what you think is going to happen. Now, we've been studying this the last few weeks. What, did, what was everyone expecting Messiah to do? Messiah is going to come, and he's going to fix society. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to he's going to make the temple work well. He's going to make everything all better, and we'll finally have what peace. Because that, that they read the parts of Isaiah that talked about peace, and they didn't. They skipped over the parts that talked about the rejection of the Messiah. And so these guys are like, "Oh, here comes Messiah, and he's going to he's going to beat Rome, and we won't have to deal with the government anymore, and we won't have to deal with." the corrupt religious system anymore, and everything's going to be okay. And she's like, no, that's not, that's not where we are. That's not why I'm here right now. I'm not here for that restoration. I'm here, I'm here for the time of, that Micah talked about. In other words, society's not going to get better. It's about to get worse. And so Jesus is declaring... Sorry, get ahead. Jesus is declaring that this is where he's stepping into. I'm stepping into the situation of Micah 7. And it's not what you're going to expect. Why? Because they think you're going to make everything better. What's going to happen? Put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. Think back to what that moment would have been like. You've been following this guy, and he's like healing people. He brought back that one guy from the dead. Blind people are having sight. Guys who can't walk are walking again. He feeds people with no food. I mean, he, they're like, wow, he's Messiah. And they believe. And he says, who do you think I am? They're like, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And he's like, you're right. Wow, here we go. And they know what this means. This is the moment. Yeah, we're in on it. That's why at one point, a couple of them say, hey, um, so when you're done, can we sit next to you as you rule the planet? And he goes, that's not how this is going to work. Because all of us as disciples, we know how this is going to go. And then one day, the Romans came and got him. And the, one of our guys even pulled out a sword and went after the guys. And Jesus said, put it away. We're not fighting. What? 
okay, maybe tomorrow. And all night, nothing happened. Next day he stood trial, was convicted. And they crucified him. And he's hanging there, and he's still not doing anything. And he grows weaker, and he died. We were wrong. We thought he was going to defeat Rome, but Rome and the religious leaders defeated him. Oh, oh we were wrong. And a couple of days later, a couple of women showed up and said, hey, his body's gone. They're like, you can't believe women. You know how excited they are. But then a couple of the guys went and they came back and said, hey, the body's really gone. They went, that's weird. Maybe something happened. I don't know. Seems far-fetched. And their group of them were walking on the road, and he's like, hey, why you guys, this other guy comes along, what do you say, what are you, living under a rock? And the guy tried to explain to him, that's not how the Messiah was going to come. And finally he begins to re reveal who he is. Oh, it's, oh it's, you. it's you, oh, you're not dead, whoa! Oh, we misunderstood. <gasps> Your kingdom is different. Oh. And then they come back to this teaching that at the time, I'm sure they missed. Oh, you didn't come to bring peace the way we thought you were going to bring peace, which is subduing all our enemies and making our life easy. Because then as they embrace Jesus, what happened? They get kicked out of the synagogue and then they get persecuted by the Romans, which is what he'd said. I didn't, I didn't bring you, I brought you a sword. But it wasn't, I, I handed you a sword. But the results of my presence in my kingdom is not going to deliver you from suffering. That's what he means. How do we know that I'm correctly understanding the text in Matthew 10? Because listen to what he says after he quotes it. He explains to them, and they, they didn't understand it till later. Matthew writes this down. By the time Matthew's recording this, he knows what it means. Because he's writing this down after, after it's all over. Because after Jesus quotes Micah, then he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So he says, listen, so now guys, you have a choice between this system, the system of Matthew 10, Matthew 7 rather, I'm sorry, ugh, Micah 7, the system of Micah 7, the system of the earth, or me. Because Jesus' way rejects the division of the world. And he says, and you've got to love me more than that system. Because the disciples are now going to have to choose between being accepted by Jewish society and being able to go to synagogue and sit with their parents or declaring the whole system corrupt and stepping outside it. And they got kicked out of the synagogue. And he says, you've got to love me more than you love being accepted by the system. And then Rome's going to come along. And so he says, to embrace me, you can't love being accepted by the system. But he's told us what the system is. The system is Micah 7. It's the corrupt system that divides everybody. You must love him more than the approval of the lost. Because, see, they thought he was just going to give them everything. And he says, no, I'm going to give you everything, but not the broken system. 
Because the broken system is broken. And so then he says, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Well, what does that mean? What did he mean? See, we use that phrase today. We say, well, we all have our cross to bear. And what do we mean when we say that? We all have our cross to bear. We all, when we say that, we say, well, I have to, uh, we all have our cross to bear. And then you define cross as the hard thing I have to do. Right? That's how we define cross, doing a hard thing. Well, that's, that's again, that's us putting meaning in. When Jesus says you have to bear your cross, he doesn't mean you have to do a hard thing. What did the cross mean? Well, for the Jews, the law had said, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. So if you died on a tree, a cross, then you are considered rejected by God and his people. What about if you're not a Jew? What if you're a Gentile? What if you're a Roman? The Romans did not allow Roman citizens to be crucified. Why? Because even a Roman that deserved death, we don't treat Romans that bad. Because Romans saw crucifixion as something as being totally excluded from society. So Jews understood the cross as meaning that you are rejected by the community of God. And the Romans understood the cross to be you were rejected by the community of man. And what did, the, the, what did the Messiah, what was the prediction of Isaiah? He was despised and rejected. And so now he's saying, listen, the, the world is in the system of pursuing themselves, pursuing themselves to the point you can't trust anyone because everyone is in self-defense mode, preserving, the, preserving themselves, pursuing themselves. And you're going to reject all that, and in rejecting all that, you're going to be excluded from society. And I'm warning you about that because they thought society was going to be reformed and they were going to be at the middle of it. And he says, no, you're going to have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to pick up the symbol of rejection and follow me, who was despised and rejected. Verse 39 he who's found his life, the pursuit of self, will lose it. But he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He must be willing to accept the result of embracing Jesus, which is lost. And for many of them, it meant death. You see, that's a whole different picture, isn't it? That's not the picture of, I'm going to go out and I may make some people mad, but I'm going to stand up for Jesus. No, that's not the picture. It's not even close. In fact, it's about the opposite. This ties into the last week. We talked about the promise of the Prince of Peace, where it said, the, here's the Prince of Peace, for unto us a son is born, unto us a, a, a child is born, a son is given, government will be upon his shoulders, his name is revealed, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And then the whole rest of the chapter was how arrogant men said, no, we'll fix it. We can make it better. And it was the show that the promise was of Messiah and the result would be the rejection of Messiah. It's going to be rough first. The path of peace doesn't start with everything being okay because we live in a world that has rebelled. And what's happening is God, because we started with God, but we rejected God, and so then God has been reintroducing His way into the world. 
And as God reintroduces His way into the world, as the world is going its way, it reveals the division of this world. It shows what's wrong here. The sin, the rebellion, and the rejection. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I didn't come to make everything better. I didn't come to just hand out peace. I'm, you're going to see a sword. And you're going to get excluded. And you're going to be rejected. And that's why he says, and so to follow me, you've got to embrace that. That's what it means to carry your cross. Because God's kingdom is different. And here's the thing, you can't bridge these kingdoms. You cannot bridge these two kingdoms because the kingdoms are diametrically opposed because of our rebellion. So you either have the choice of being self-driven, which will tear apart, or the God-driven reconciliation of Jesus. And see, that's where we are in danger as a people. And God's people have always been in danger of this. And that's why you end up with the book of Micah. And that's why you end up with, as we saw with Isaiah. Because what are we told? We'll fix it. We'll bring it together. You have people. And it doesn't matter which party you prefer to hear from. There are people who says, if you will give me your money and support, I will bring us together. I will unite us against them. And I will fix it. And what does it do? Just further tears apart. Further tears apart. And what are we seeing this day in our society? A society that's just splintering. And churches being torn apart by us versus them. One of the reasons I got off Facebook and barely spent any time on Facebook anymore is because I post something and then the number one question come back primarily primarily from proclaiming believers, primarily from proclaiming believers, whose side are you on? And if you reject the system, well, then you must be one of them. We got to fight for this. I don't want to fight. What are you, a commie? Sorry, that's like 80s. Nobody's a commie now. Now we're Marxists. Okay, good. But right? Are you one of them or one of us? The system. Divide, 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 divide between us and them. And here's what tends to happen because we have us and them and we, we know them and them and them and then we are us. We are us, not them. We're them, they're us. And so we get them clearly defined and they're bad and we're good and we're us. Yeah, us. But then after a bit, what happens? Then we have us and us and we look at the other us and go, no, wait a minute. Are you as us as we are us? Are you us enough? I'm thinking you might be a little more them than us. In fact, I think you are them than us. In fact, so now we have us and them. Them, us, and us, them. And then them over there, right? And so then you divide up a little more. So now we push them over there. Okay, now it's us. Now we're good. We're us. Except I wondered about you a little. Are you us enough? And so what happens? It keeps getting what? Smaller and smaller. Because the world system divides. That's what people do. And that's what Micah 7 is talking about. 
until you divide down until even a family isn't getting along. Because even a husband and wife or a son and daughter are looking, a father and son are looking at each other and going, are you one of us, one of them? And it says, pretty soon you can't even trust your neighbor, you can't trust your family. Because these two kingdoms don't combine. And so when we say, well, we're going to use the earthly kingdom to bring about the heavenly kingdom, and that's what the disciples thought, and Jesus said, that's not how I, that's not. And that's why Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, whose side do you want? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm not part of your game. I'm not playing on your sides. And that, the one thing that the sides can agree on is you're not supposed to quit. The one thing that the sides agree on is you've got to be on one of them. And Jesus says, and so they'll all reject you. Because the Messiah does peace differently. He said, I'm not going to come in and fight. I'm going to come in and die. I'm going to come in and I'm going to take my enemies and I'm going to serve them. And when they kill me, I'm going to forgive them. And I'm going to redeem them. And he said, now I'm telling you, love your enemies. Bless those who hate you. Do good for those who persecute you. If they make you do something, offer to do more. He says, and by doing this, you will demonstrate that you're part of my kingdom, which is bigger and better than this one. Or another way to put it is ceasing the war of the self. Because that's the heart of the earthly system. It's the war of self. Putting self first. You know what the number one way that I cause conflict in my home is? Hands down. Like there's not, there, in fact, this is not a, it's not the number one way. It's the only way. Like these are reasons one through a thousand. And there is no reason a thousand and one. I cause conflict in my home when I look out for me. And the times when I do it the best is when I have the best reason to. You know, I'm selfish. I'm selfless for a while. Oh, I did the dishes. I swept the floor. I did a day of hard ministry. But those people at Beans Corner, they're terrible. And now I deserve a little peace and quiet. And do I? Oh, yeah, I do. And it's amazing how those thoughts and sensations, which feel so good, cause conflict. Do you know what has never exacerbated any conflict in my life? Being willing to serve and die. My wife and I don't have a ton of conflict, but I've never made conflict with my wife worse by saying, honey, how can I serve you? It just, it just never makes it worse. Listing how she could serve me, that's been known to not help. Same with my kids. Messiah does peace different by ceasing the war of selves. 
as we live in this culture that we're in now. We're not going to have peace nor be representatives of peace by walking into this culture and say, hey, I'll fight you for it. Hey, I'll fight you for it. Because I'm right and you're wrong and us versus them. It will never lead to peace. It's the wrong kingdom. And that's what Micah 7 is about. And that's what Jesus has said. He goes, you're not going to experience the world's peace in the world system, but I come. And that's why we had to stop, go to Micah 7, 7, where he says, but I will look to the Lord. I'll be different. How do we do peace in the middle of this? All right, so that's, that's a lot. We just... That's a lot, right? That's a big thought. We've just hit some big thoughts. So how? Because you say, well, there's all kinds of complicating things. Like, so what about if you're in an abusive situation? What about, you know, what do we do with all that? How do we, how do we take this big thought of peace in the middle of this corrupt culture? So I'll tell you, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. That's next week's sermon. Because I'm done. Sorry, cliffhanger. For today, we cannot bridge the two systems. The Prince of Peace does it differently. We have to pick up our cross and embrace the rejection of the world. Understand that we're not going to bring peace by promoting the divisions of this world. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your great, great love for us. As we were rebellious and your enemies, and we were wrong, we didn't share guilt with you. We were not mutually responsible for the breakdown. It was our rebellion and your goodness, and you came and laid down your life for us. You came and surrendered. And you reached out to people who had bombed out of the system and who the system had rejected and you showed them love and compassion and they flocked to you. And you called people out of the system. And Lord, you have called us out. We are the ecclesia, those who have been called out to a kingdom that is not part of this world system, that is opposed to it that is set up opposite, that is not set to tear apart, but instead be the ministers of reconciliation based on your death on the cross for your enemies. Lord, we don't know how to do this, and our society isn't helping us any. We have voices, even voices we may have trusted, telling us we need to fight harder. and be more sharply divided. But Lord, you come and you fight different. We must deny ourselves. Lord, help us continue to work through this and help us as a church be the people who are fighting through this. Working to surrender our way for your way. And in doing so, being a beacon of light and hope to our society, which is so angry and divided. 
Lord, we know that people are hurting, scared, and angry. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, as we enter this Advent season, as today we lit the candle of hope, we know this is not a wish. We know that the time is coming. We know that the day will come when you'll come in and you will bring a physicality to this peace. The time will come where you will put all enemies under your feet. But we know that you haven't done that yet because you are waiting patiently because you want more people to hear the good news of the new kingdom. You are waiting because you are not eager to judge your enemies, you're eager to save them. And so you've left us here not to fight them, but to reach them. Because your desire is that they would leave the kingdoms of this world behind and enter yours. So Lord, may we, as we sang, may we hasten your arrival by proclaiming your glorious hope. may we be characterized by your peace, not as the world gives, not through conquest and domination, but through sacrifice, surrender, and love, grace and mercy. Thank you for your tremendous love for us that you would come, enter into our suffering world, be like us, suffer with us, suffer for us, die because of us so that we might know your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we're going to